0: Hey fellas, it's Andrew again. Uh, you're doing the thing next. Uh, perfect timing. I don't know if you know, but uh, Stranger Things season two is being released, I think, on Halloween. A whole bunch of Stranger Things owes a lot of its feel and monster scene and direction to the thing by Carpenter. Anyway, uh, looking forward to it. Talk to y'all soon.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 56 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie tastes for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. Every October, we watch a horror movie to set the mood for Halloween, and for this, our fourth holiday spooktacular, we've decided to watch John Carpenter's The Thing. Both Ryan and I have seen this movie, but it's been a long time, and we felt like we needed to watch this Aliens in the Antarctic cult classic one more time.
2: Even though The Thing is now widely regarded as a treasured classic among critics and horror fans alike, its reception when it opened in 1982 wasn't so glowing. Some critics found the movie's characters flat, and overall they just weren't impressed. The Thing spent about a month in theaters and earned $20 million, and the poor reception threatened to derail John Carpenter's burgeoning horror directing career. Since 1982, however, the movie has become revered as a masterpiece of 80s horror, and John Carpenter's career has done just fine.
1: But is The Thing really a dynamite horror classic? Or should we take this movie out in the snow and torch
2: it? Keep listening. There's something wrong with Blair. He's locked himself in his room and he won't answer the door. So I took one of his notebooks from the lab. Yeah. Listen...
0: It could have imitated a million life forms on a million planets. Could change into any one of them at any time. Now it wants life forms on Earth. It's getting cold in here, Fuchs, and I haven't slept in two Wait a minute, days. Mac. Wait a minute. It needs to be alone and in close
1: proximity with the life form to be absorbed. The chameleon strikes in the dark. So is Blair cracking up or what? the crete, there is still cellular activity in these burned remains. They're not dead yet. All right, so if you could hear that uh, cold chill in the air, we were taking a little trip to the Antarctic there with yeah. Fuchs and McReady. Fuchs was telling uh, McReady a little bit about the, the creature that they're dealing with, these scientists yeah. are dealing with in the middle of nowhere. The thing. The, the thing, yeah, yeah, that they're dealing with.
2: That's about all you ever learn
1: about the thing, other than it's really gross looking and can do some crazy stuff to the human body. Yeah, well, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I guess. <laughs> I mean... I think most people think that the thing looks pretty grotesque in the movie. Um, yeah, yep. that would be the, the general consensus, right? Uh, but that's you know what we're going to be discussing today, and whether or not discussion. the thing is attractive. Right. <laughs> that's <laughs> how we're going to spend this holiday. Spooktacular! I have to look at my notes a little more closely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah, fourth annual spooktacular. Fourth annual spooktacular. Yeah. We've, uh, let's, I mean, we, okay, so we, the first, first year we did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare on Elm Street, right. Wicker, uh, man. So Wicker Man, so our last one was a little contentious, so we'll see how this one does, the thing. So,
2: yeah, we've had, the first and the third years, neither of us had seen it, the mm-hmm. movie. Right. Uh, the second year when we did Nightmare on Elm Street, you'd seen it, I hadn't. Right. This one, we've both seen it, it's been a long time. I, For me too. while watching it, I realized I had forgotten a lot mm-hmm. about it. Yeah.
1: Let's just start it off. What was the the first time uh, like when you saw the thing?
2: Um, Hard to say. I I know either a roommate or a friend lent it to me. So we're talking college age, high school? Uh, Just after college. All right. And said, uh, oh, you haven't seen this? I love this movie. And it wasn't, I don't think it was a friend who typically like owns movies or has movies, like loves movies, but this one they owned and loved. I was like, oh, all right. Uh, And so I watched it and I thought, oh, all right. (laughs) I think. Um, Because my Letterbox rating is four stars. Okay. And that's about all I remember. The effects were really pretty gory. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember Kurt Russell and his beard. That's not, I mean, that's a very unglamorous story. It's a thing I saw. Yeah. Yeah. You saw the thing and And it was was a thing you saw. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And uh, I know I've read a lot about the movie. People really love it and, when I hear people talk about the thing, I'm like, "Yeah, definitely." Mm-hmm. That's I've seen that, <laughs> um, and I, I was I I was intrigued to watch it again, having read some more stuff just about. I mean, not not anything very specific, but just having seen people uh, praise the movie as this sort of classic kind of paragon
1: of 80s horror. Mm-hmm. Well, It's got a lot of touchstones of 80s horror, and so yeah. I think we can get into what a lot of those mm-hmm. are in our discussion. Um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll swing it over to me and I don't have any big story either. I guess we'll just have a lot more time to talk about the movie. But it was yeah. one of those that I just, uh, it was probably post, post-college. post I mean, I, I, it was just that period that we've talked about many a times where we're yeah. just filling in gaps and yeah. it was a summer watch for me. I just went to the yeah. library, grabbed a stack of movies. The thing was one of them and I watched it and I really liked it. Okay. I remember that. So much so that I I didn't even remember that I did this, but I looked at my letterbox, and I had given it five stars. Whoa. Um, and, I, and I really remember having that feeling after I watched it. Like, I loved it. I was wow. like, that is a great, great movie. Huh. And then I never watched it again, so yeah. I just never revisited it. So I was really excited to watch it, too, because I had even kind of forgot that that was my – passion for it at any time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow um so my, yeah my letterbox was four stars yeah. which is solid so we both really liked it yeah uh, but i i guess i just um I, I think when i watched it i thought this is now one of my favorite horror movies i think i was mm. kind of giving it a five star within that sort of horror thing like if i'm yeah. gonna make a list of my all-time favorite horror the yeah. thing would be right, right up, there, up there top it, five for sure you
2: had know? you seen a lot of horror movies you know, the way that you maybe are thinking about them more now, where does the thing fit into that? Was it pretty early in this process of kind of intentionally watching horror movies?
1: Yeah, it was pretty early because I've watched a lot since then. Yeah. I think we've both talked about how horror really isn't on neither of our special specialty mm-hmm. genre, but that we both like to watch a lot of horror around this time of year. Mm-hmm. And it's been a lot, you know, it's been a couple of years since I watched the thing. So I've got a yeah. lot under my belt since then. And mm-hmm. I guess my feeling of that was sort of a revealing of what the horror genre can do. Sure. Because it was kind of mm-hmm. early on in that and just kind of having a, um, a a reaction of wow, I I that's a horror movie that is unlike a lot that I've seen and, and, yeah. and really shows you what you can do with the genre. At the time that's that was my feeling.
2: Yeah. So. Um, maybe this is getting too far into it, but would, would it still rank among the top? Even like before
1: before the rewatch, as you've seen more horror movies, would the thing have ranked up there? It would. Yeah. it actually would have it although i don't think i would have been very um educated in that like if someone pushed me on it because like we 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 talked about i, I just hadn't remembered a lot of it yeah. um, i just remembered aspects of that movie that i really appreciated such as the um the special effects you know the the uh-huh. practical effects Absolutely. that i loved i loved the smaller setting the claustrophobia sure. of it I, even the first time i watched it i really loved that aspect of it um even though I was, was kind of having a hard time remembering the ending um, before the yeah. rewatch. Mm-hmm. I remember liking the ending. Like I me remember too. feeling like, even though I couldn't really quite recall what the ending was in detail, I remember thinking it just left me very like, yeah. wow, yeah. You know, awesome. Right. You know, And, and so um, my recollection of that movie is, yes, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> So um, that the feels like a very qualified statement. Does, did the rewatch change that at all? Um, no, I, it did okay. not. I would still put this as one of my favorite horror movies. I'm going to keep it at five stars, actually. I I, I love this movie. And, and now I feel like I was watching it a lot closer, knowing that we were going to have to talk about it, right. you know. And watching it a lot more closer, it wasn't like I all of a sudden saw certain shortcomings that I had missed the first time or anything yeah. like that. And I still had that same visceral reaction to it, which in horror is kind of important. You know, like, mm-hmm. ultimately... Horror is one of those genres where you kind of need to have an experience with it. Yeah. You know, it, it can't just be one that you're impressed by.
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I actually, I don't know if I was just in uh, a wrong frame of mind on the rewatch, but... I feel like I only saw flaws on a big watch. Okay. Well, not really only. Because there definitely the thing that there were a lot of aspects of it that did impress me a great deal and I was with it in and there were times where I was scared and disgusted and it was it was working. But gut reaction (laughs) ratings, I drop it to three stars actually. Really, yeah. Okay. But I maybe let my own feelings while watching it maybe cloud some of the better aspects of it or amplify some of the aspects of it that I wasn't enjoying. So
1: I'm open to a discussion, certainly. Well, then why don't we just start with, why don't don't you tell me what those feelings were? Like, what were the feelings that you were having while watching it that made you second-guess it, I guess?
2: Primarily, this time around, the characters really, really got on my nerves. I... I found myself more often being frustrated with them than being scared for them. It feels like they did everything so slowly and so stupidly. Obviously, I don't know what it would be like to be in that situation, but <laughs> uh, uh, this is like a military base, right? Like a
1: military research base? Science. Science. It's just science. Yeah, not military. yeah. So these aren't people who are trained in any way. Okay, that's I guess where I was coming from as yeah. far as understanding, giving them that like this is all kind of something sure. foreign to them. So know? although McReady might have a, a I don't think it's so unclear if McReady sort of is fully a scientist with the team or right. if he's got if a little he's bit just of a helicopter. A, like, yeah, he might have a little I mean, bit he of a has military
2: that background shack apart from them. And yeah, I yeah. So that that was something that as the movie was going on, I found myself getting pulled out of it so often, just saying like. What are you doing? Like, how often they, like, just in that first scene with the dogs, when he's like, Torch him, child.
0: Get your ass over here! Burn it! Damn it, child, torch it!
2: Just like that's not scaring me. That's bugging me so badly. Like, just do it. Just whatever. I don't know. Yeah. And then you'd think, after the first time, you understand what this thing can do. You would never leave people alone. Even by the end, when there's four of them, they're like, "All right, uh, the three of us are going to go. You stay alone." You were waiting for a buddy system to yeah, be implemented. They needed that. That's it's. It seems like. These people know they need to tie themselves to each other and follow a lead line when they're outside. Like there's all these different ways that these scientists think through how to survive in the Antarctic, but having a buddy system doesn't cross their mind at all. Am I just being nitpicky and that's a, like calm down about it? But I just have to be honest that that's, that that sort of thing was pulling me out of the movie. And then another thing about the movie that I didn't, that I wasn't tracking with, it was actually something Kelsey, my wife, pointed out. And then I read a Roger Ebert review, and he said pretty much the same thing. And Kelsey said, Oh, so now my idea is good. Um, <laughs> like
1: it wasn't bad. No, I just needed good. to think just about it. Ebert approved, that's yeah. all.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, she did kind of call me on <laughs> my needing a backup. But um, she's absolutely right. And she didn't need Roger Ebert to see it. As far as mystery goes, which this movie really does play on the fact that it's a mystery as far as like who's an alien, who's not, who's, you know, there's no way of figuring things out for yourself or sorting anything out. There's no way of entering into the mystery. And there's no way that the characters are really engaging with the mystery until that scene with like the blood. Mm Mm-hmm. And then paranoia, which I know, I also know that that's part of it. It's about the isolation and the sleeplessness and the paranoia without real um, logical thought to it. But as a viewer, it was a lot less engaging of an experience when somebody can go away alone and come back and it's just a crapshoot. Oh, yeah, no, that guy wasn't an alien, but that guy was. It it just felt like it was very um, arbitrary. And those, I think, are the big things which are kind of big things because they're like throughout the movie things. Yeah, I was reading one review, like, like Empire Magazine, a lot of magazines and publications have done um, kind of revisionist reviews of this movie sure. uh, where they take the opportunity to review the DVD, to review the movie again and give it like five stars. And there's that part where, and it's one of the greatest parts of the movie where um, I can't remember the, the redheaded character's name. Who's got like the most prolonged transformation scene? Like they do the defibrillator and his defibrillator stomach scene. opens up. Yeah,
1: that's like that's like the scene, the iconic that's, scene. Yeah. the defibrillator I mean, it's scene. Un, it's, yeah.
2: it's like unparalleled that scene, and uh, I, I'm not faulting that scene at all. But when the head grows legs and crawls away, again, I'm sort of like somebody noticed. Like whatever. Um, I thought they did though. I think they do. They yeah. did and they do. And uh, Palmer says, "You've got to be fucking kidding me." Yeah. You gotta be fucking kidding. It's awesome. It is. But, like, (laughs) come on. No, I'm not faulting that. But, like, the way that the person wrote about it, he said it's one of the all time great zingers. Like, that's like an anti-zinger. And it's not that, like, I'm reacting. Because these were, I was I was reading people's writing to say, like, what am I, mm-hmm. what do I need? <laughs> and I, I feel like if you're going to call that a zinger, well, you're watching this movie differently than me. Well, what do you mean by zinger? I feel like zingers are usually, like, snappy... Funny and it's
1: funny, but it's not snappy. Oh, you it's mean when like he said that? The person called that one of the greatest zingers in movie history or something like oh, that. I don't like know if that. I I wouldn't say movie history, but I certainly that's memorable to me. Yeah. I guess like I, no, I thought it that is. was I thought that was like the perfect it is, but movie that, thing to say there. But I feel
2: like if people are talking about this movie and using language like that to describe what's happening
1: in it, I'm like, you're reviewing the thing about the thing yeah. rather than the thing itself. Let's talk about that line for a second. What I think that line does, it encapsulates that scene very well, is it both is a line that a viewer would say yeah. and that character. Because yeah. the viewer, even just if you're thinking of it as far as those special effects go, right. I'm thinking, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Right. And then you see the character say that too, and it's sort of like this, mm-hmm. this like relatability thing you have with this character who sure. is so much not... Thinking the same thing you're thinking, yeah. like in a way you're kind of impressed by what you're seeing on the screen, and they're just like, "This is not special effects. This is the real freaking deal." You yeah. know, I don't know. I I thought that line was pretty perfect. I don't know I, if I no, say greatest it, and it's and not iconic, and that's or the anything thing. Like that, it's, but it, it might be quibbling. It might be it might be elitist
2: sounding the way I'm talking about it. But I just feel like a good line, appropriately placed in the movie, echoes my sentiments because I remember I was just like, no. When it happened Mm -hmm. But then I felt like If that's the way That people who love this movie Are talking about that movie Then they're talking about Something different Than I'm
1: experiencing Like they were looking for Just like almost like A schlocky fun fest Right Is that what you mean? Whatever yeah Yeah and I I mean I don't want to make it sound Like my, my feelings on the movie
2: Are being fully influenced By what people are saying And I don't agree with What people are saying Or they're saying it in a way That isn't how I would say it But it just feels like it made me question whether this revisionist adoration for this movie isn't
1: anything deeper than, come on, you can't tell me that wasn't great, you know? Well, that scene, I think you can say that, but that doesn't mean the whole movie's right. great. Yeah. Well, let me, let me just say, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you my, my perspective, I guess, uh-huh. on it, because um, obviously I was pretty taken by this movie. Yeah. So this movie, if it's going to work on any sort of deeper level, You have to be kind of swept up into it. And it seems like you just never were. Let me tell you that if you can get to that point, the movie becomes a pretty incredible thing. It's interesting that you even use the word feelings when you're talking about your feelings towards it because I was reading an interview with Carpenter from 1982. Mm-hmm. It was Rick Gentry from... Um, it was a film journal. I don't even think it's around anymore. It was called Postscript. And it was mm-hmm. a it was a film scholar interviewing John Carpenter. And this was actually while he was editing the thing. So the thing hadn't even come out yet. And he said for all of his movies, quote, the trick is to get the viewer to project all of his or her feelings onto the screen. That's pretty risky. Well, he, he said, well... <laughs> Say say this is a Rorschach test that is a little more directional. It takes you to a certain place, and it's very specific. You really pre- begin to project your own feelings into it, and your fantasies are taking over as opposed to mine, which is the most important thing in any movie, which is what I think movies do best. And I think uh, especially with a movie like The Thing, where the whole idea is it's depicting these guys who it goes further than even distrusting each other. I mean, McReady says no one trusts each other anymore. But it goes even further than that to where they're not even trusting their own perceptions, which is why I actually think it's important in the movie for you not to know or not to be tipped off to this guy's a thing, this guy's not. Because if you're kind of going along with Carpenter's idea of like trying to get you to almost be immersed in this movie Mm -hmm. and to have those same types of feelings these people are feeling you can't be a viewer that's in on anything and you have to be in it with these guys and it seems like maybe i was just there with it and you weren't and if you're not in with it then i can see where all those flaws are really going to become self-evident and if you're in it you're going to be a little bit more charitable towards well okay so you're talking about the fact that he hesitated to torch the dog i'm I think I've fired a gun once in my life. If someone said, shoot that thing, it could be a total monster. And also the other thing to think about is they're in Antarctica, they're in the middle of nowhere and they've only got a flamethrower. He could have just been worried that the whole place would torch up if he did it. You know, like these are scientists. It's not really their forte. (laughs) And they make a lot of mistakes along the way. But, you know, as a viewer, and someone who doesn't have any sort of background with firearms or with yeah. military background or anything, I, I'm like, yeah, I might not have made that choice, but who the hell knows, you well, know? And, and also that, and and so many times these are people who they just spent months and months with, and yeah, you know that they're kind of a monster, but you're still having to torch something or someone that, yeah. that you've been with for months and months. And, 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 and yeah, it's true. Like, Putting yourself in that situation, like, and what you would feel seeing this for the first time and, like, in front of you, I, 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 mean, I get that. And I guess just to, just, let's just pull it back a little bit and I can just talk more broadly about, you know, what I like about this movie as a horror movie. And why I would put it so high up is because it brings a lot of different types of horror into one movie mm-hmm. and does it so well structurally. Like, right. so it's, it's kind of a creature feature, uh-huh. but it's never a man in a suit. It's kind of one of those movies that, you know, you see a lot of horror movies that are all about like claustrophobia and isolation. Mm -hmm. And it's all there just because it's in Antarctica and it's got the sci-fi sort of pseudoscience aspect to it with the idea of these cells. And it does that really well. It's kind of a zombie movie because people are infected by something and it turns them into it. And it's even got a scene that's kind of like a found footage scene when you watch the Norwegian like VHS Mm -hmm. thing. And it's kind of got some of that in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then on top of that, it has that added psychological element of you can't trust anyone. So mm-hmm. it's even got that sort of invasion of the body snatchers, Cold War thing going on sure. with it, where it's got so much in it. And mm-hmm. structurally, it just moves. Like, it immediately mm-hmm. drops you in, and it's perfect. Because I know you talked about how you didn't feel like the mystery element was all that great. But to me, the mystery element is just dropped in right away. Sure. Like, why are, why they, are they shooting, shooting that dog? dog? Like, that's just weird. And then you have add to that this really I would call it iconic, but um really just effective a Neo Morricone soundtrack right. of this. Which like, I had forgotten booming, was his soundtrack. I, I, did too. I, I, I did assumed
2: too. when I started it that it would be a John Carpenter soundtrack.
0: Right. It's
1: just like it pulls you right in. You're like uh-huh. something's weird
0: here. This yeah. is
1: really odd, you know, and then it does just enough exposition of these guys having to talk through stuff before it gets to the creature stuff, which,
2: I mean, even
1: if you hated this movie, you'd have to oh, be in awe of I, these and practical I effects. I don't hate yeah. this
2: movie. The the effects are unreal. Yeah. Um. I will say, I and think then, the final the final iteration of it is probably the least effective. It's like that, the, yeah. the strangest, silliest one.
1: The, the one that's underground?
2: Yeah. Yeah. But there were times where I'm like, how did they do that right the credits it's five guys five people were in charge of
1: those i think yeah well and then rob Botton was the main guy right like matt was the mastermind behind all of it yeah but then there were four guys who helped him with like the the puppetry stuff
0: and whereas
2: you see any movie that's got any amount of special effects now (laughs) and it's like like a a team team, of
0: 50
1: and then all the columns yeah and then all the the kids born in the time that took them to do that (laughs) um and, then, and, then, now, and then, uh, just to add to that one last thing that I think you add all that up, good horror movie. Great. And then the way he chooses to end it an amazing ending. Like yeah. it's just, it, it's that right amount of, you know, despair. Um, but also like there could be some hope in it, but there could also be nothing to it. Like you just, it's the the mystery stays. It's never solved. The you, you, The mystery is only solved in the sense that you at least know what they were shooting at with that dog. Yeah, You know, and you understand that this is, they finally figured out what this thing is or how it works, but then you're just left with this new mystery of, but what the hell is going to happen? Like, is humanity just doomed? You know, are they just going to die and the thing's going to move on and Mm -hmm. get in the helicopter and go off to the world? And, you know, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't close anything up easily, which I know we both kind of appreciate in movies when it's done well. So I do like the ending. I do there are definitely
2: things that I like about it that I think are good about it. To the point that you were making, and this is going back a few turns when you say, you know, oh, but these are scientists, they may not be comfortable with weapons, all that stuff. I I I feel like there it was established pretty early on that these are guys at the ready when Gary is just observing from the inside a guy running with a gun and is immediately Driven to grab a handgun, break a window, which seems completely stupid in a sub-zero uh, in Antarctica to break a window, and then fire a couple times and get the guy in the eye. So the movie establishes right away this expectation that these are men of action who are ready to drop a person. They don't know. They don't know anything about this. Oh, except, except this guy's running with a gun at them. Right and and and, dog, and 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 yeah, that yes. is
1: stupid for him to break the window. But like, he's also someone who doesn't really know what you should do in that situation. Like, you've got a guy coming that's at true, you with but a he, gun. Like, like,
2: pops him in the eye, and maybe it's just but dumb, it seems dumb like look, but that that's that's, but that's the that's, the, thing, the, that's I, the but that that's the what the, to me that's the expectation the movie established was like these guys are I, I don't know it that, just that's seemed, how that's it just how I inter- stupid that he did that, and then it seemed just so frustrating that they're like. I mean, it's, it's, it's like Frodo constantly falling in the Lord of the Rings movies. It's just like, uh, (laughs)
1: like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's how I interpreted it. I interpreted it as him not really knowing the right procedure and yeah, breaking a window is probably pretty stupid. And also him hitting him in the eye seemed to me almost like just a lucky shot. Like, I don't think he was, I mean, if anything, I wonder if as scientists, they were kind of wishing they would have maimed him because they could have at least asked him questions like, what the hell were you doing? You know, like, But it was a person who was panicked and just did what they did in that situation, and then they just moved on. Which you know? is the
2: last time in that movie somebody acts quickly out of panic. But then there's Blair. They don't trust mm-hmm. Blair at all, and because he was alone, that's right. why they don't trust him. No, and I get it. You know? I get it. I'm not saying so. It's, it's not that like they're completely stupid about not, right. people who are alone. Right. But then Macready sees Blair taking an axe to the helicopter and just as Blair runs away, just goes, Blair, like you already don't trust this guy. He just took an ax to a helicopter and ran inside with an ax. And you're just going to stand there and be like, Blair, (laughs) I don't know. It was just stuff like that moments like that, that I was like, I don't know. I, 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 these guys can die. I don't know. And I, at this point, you're probably like, well, there's this, there's no point in this conversation. Um, I'm just getting my frustrations with this
1: movie out. That that's that's fine. I mean, if anything, I'll I'll grant you that the movie doesn't really make you care all that much uh, if which characters die and which ones don't. Although I don't know that that's really the it's not the kind of movie that really needs to play on that all that much. Right. Um,
2: that was something I, I thought, noticed in a lot of the old reviews was they were pretty down on the characters and the characterizations. I don't think I'm necessarily a, a person who needs to like or empathize with characters. But in this movie, it did feel – it felt like it stood out pretty heavily as a real strike against it. I don't know if there were
1: too many of them. Well, I think that could be part of it, which I actually do think is kind of a problem Mm -hmm. because they're pretty interchangeable. And sometimes I didn't always follow which guy was which guy. You know, like who they they were sort of just – but at the same time, with what I think ultimately you need for this movie to work, where you can kind of insert yourself into it. It's not that that works towards the movie, but it doesn't really hinder it either. As a viewer, if you can get to the point where you're like, I almost feel like I'm in this situation, like we're in this together.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but I also feel like there's not quite a strong enough audience surrogate. I know it's McGready, but then partway through the movie, and maybe this is intentional that you're supposed to start questioning absolutely everything. Yeah. But partway through the movie, McGready becomes questioned.
1: Yeah. I think that is. And we lose
2: him. Yeah. I feel, but for me, it feels like. To take away McCready is too too disorienting. I will yeah. say at the moment where we turn the the focus, where we turn from McCready, where Nahl says, "I cut him loose," my suspicion went to Nalls, not to McCready. But I feel like
1: once McCready comes back, the movie turns its suspicion on McCready. So you're talking about the part that's when he comes back, right? And and then they do the blood test, mm-hmm. right? But that's so functional because you need to question McCready when they start doing the blood test. You know, like everyone's in question then. Like everyone is sort of I, speculative I, at that point. And, yeah. you ha- and you also have to understand that the people who are being tied up, like that's got to be frightening for them. They don't even know if they trust this guy who's, yeah. who's supposedly – you know, again, it's like how much are you willing to kind of insert yourself in every one of those characters and really – over into that paranoia that blood test scene to me um is is one of the strongest parts of the movie
2: and clark was human huh which makes you a murderer don't it
1: palmer now this is pure nonsense doesn't prove a thing i thought you'd feel that way gary you were the only one that could have got to that blood will do you last i mean because it's so effective in it ratcheting is. up that tension and it's just putting a burnt piece of wire right into and a like you dish, said it you know? causes
2: you to question everything because once there are a couple of negative results you start questioning whether or not this is, is actually it even a doing way. anything yeah I, I, but I don't think that scene would have been weakened if we already had complete faith in McCready. Mm. If he had started with his own blood and said, I'll show you, and then did it, yeah. and then went through the whole thing. I, I, I just personally would have maybe been more with it if I knew, McCready's the person I'm, I'm aligning myself with. There are plenty of other people that, for me to not trust. I also just hate the fact that there's a character named Windows. Is that his... <laughs> Who's Is that, that, that his last name? Windows. He's a radio guy.
1: Is that his name? I don't... I guess I didn't even yeah. think about what his name was, but...
2: There's actually Mac and Windows. I don't know if Windows <laughs> was actually
1: a thing in 1982, but... I don't know either, actually. No, I don't think it was. I don't think it was that early. But... Maybe Windows comes from the oh, thing. yeah. Like Bill Gates, and he was a huge Watching fan of the thing. Yeah, And he's got... You got McReady. Although, yeah... Mac, Windows, Mac's already out there. And, <laughs> we'll go and, with Windows and instead of the... Fuchs. <laughs> Are you running Fuchs 95? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, he probably would have just gotten sick of... Uh, actually, it's Fuchs. <laughs> <laughs> Poor anybody whose last name is Fuchs.
1: <laughs> yeah, not a, not a fun last name to live with. Uh, I'm no, guessing. I don't want to No, assume. you don't pronounce it that way. It's my last name Fuchs. looks like gas, it so does, yeah. I've lived with that my whole life. That's true.
2: Oh, it, what, what it made me think of when... Um, you just talking about whether or not Bill Gates loved this movie in 1982, because not many people did love this movie in yeah. 1982. And actually, Ennio Morricone got a Razzie nomination for worst score.
1: I can't believe is, that. Yeah,
2: it's just that Although, just shows how either ahead of its time or just how tone deaf the Razzies are. Because The Shining got nominated for worst director. <laughs> Right in 1980, so the I'm, Razzies I'm, can go.
1: I'm waiting for the, the I'm waiting for the Catwoman comeback. Yeah,
2: know? right. When are we gonna appreciate Catwoman?
1: <laughs> it took a long time, I think, for for that synth. Yeah, to, to catch up, to come around. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember even growing up. You know, those synth noises were still they were they were so of their time well, 80s yeah. that they weren't cool when right. I was growing up. No, not at all. Razzies are no Razzies. It's I I found it oh, extremely yeah. effective. Carpenter is someone who is going to pay attention to that kind of stuff because he usually scores he usually, his own yeah. movies and he did the Halloween theme, which is iconic yeah. iconic, yeah, so he's not going to just put any old thing in his movie, I think it's in this one case of a few yeah. movies
2: of his, if not the only movie of his that he, he didn't, didn't score, it. yeah and i I wonder if watching it and paying more attention to the score almost in a way like Jaws used the mm. the theme um would maybe be a indicator at
1: times which. I think works a little differently than Jaws. Right. Jaws is always ratcheting you up for something to happen. Yeah. And in this case, it's what's played when it's needed for you to kind of sit in the mystery. Mm. In the beginning, yeah. they're, you're hearing this as they're trying to shoot this dog. You're also hearing it at the end when they're just sitting there, you know, kind of looking the at very you at the very
2: end. Well, yeah. yeah, that's why I kind of think, uh, let's talk about the ending. Do you think, Childs or, I mean, I think pretty much McCready is not infected. I don't,
1: no, because I don't think he would have worked so hard to pull the dynamite and everything down right. there if he was infected. Do you, Unless he was infected sometime in between right. after that happened. And
2: Do you think Childs was a
1: infected I, you know i think that's one of those where right. anyone could interpret it that way if they wanted to i don't i think the director i think the script everything leaves that ambiguous for the for the viewer to decide for themselves do you want me to answer what i personally would like to believe or well sure yeah i i personally would like to believe that neither of them is infected huh. and it's more about whether they're going to kill each other out of just the doubt even if they're not infected did they effectively kill this thing? And also, even if they're not infected, they're both going to die. They're both going to die. So I like. Unless the, one of them is infected and they'll just go
2: to sleep. Sure. So I was talking to my friend Jason who loves this movie. He pointed out, and I don't think, as I was watching it, I don't think it's just camera angles and lighting. Um, in that final scene, McCready, every time he opens his mouth, there's quite a bit of like vapor against mm-hmm. the cold. And for Childs, there's not at all. Hmm. Um, Mm. And remember, the cold doesn't kill the thing. Yeah. So that was Jason's point, that you can tell Childs has been infected. Kelsey then, I'm not noticing anything apparently. Kelsey (laughs) noticed that they made a pretty strong pact that you don't share food or drink. And McCready hands him the bottle. Mm-hmm. And he takes a drink. And then McCready's definitely got a look on his face. Like, he knows. So Kelsey also thinks that Childs was infected, and that's her proof. I guess you could say it's, it's a test of, does Childs trust him? Yeah. And Childs is saying, I don't think you're infected, I'm going to drink this. Or it could be McCready testing him, remember, we said we were never going to share right. a drink. Right, why are you taking this? Yeah. Why'd you drink?
1: Yeah. The paranoia lives on. I mean, yeah. I just love, I love that ending. I just think yeah. there's so much you could do I with agree. it. I agree. I think know? it's
2: great. Um, then there's also the stupid, stupidity of them saying, <laughs> we're not going to share any food or drink. This thing's highly effective. Um, and then they use the same blade to cut their fingers. Well, wait, he, he
1: wipes it on his, <laughs> on his, <laughs> on his pants, right? Just a silly thing. But um yeah, I don't know if we're getting much further in this as far as well, I, changing I, minds or anything. Soon enough, but
2: I want to hear your, like, more deeply what's happening with it, what you see happening.
1: I just find, oh, I already talked about how I feel like it's sort of a good combination of a lot of what right, horror can do which well. Is a good point. But I think that on top of that, it does all that and still creates this entirely unique thing. You mm-hmm. know, it's still unlike a lot of horror I've ever seen, which is mm-hmm. another reason why I would keep it at five stars. It's kind of like The Shining in that way where it's just like, it's so unique where it's just like, I'm so glad that it's there and I really yeah. enjoy, I want to watch it again. Like, I, I mean, and, and if I can just sort of fall back on more instinctual feelings, I just, this was, one of those movies where I watched it and the credits started rolling and I actually I was sitting next to my wife who was barely paying attention. She was on her laptop and I just kind of like hit her shoulder and I was like, that's an awesome movie. (laughs) I was like, I love that. That was so good, you know? And so I can't really, I see what you're saying. It's not like you don't have valid points to what you're saying, but it's really hard to, just throw that feeling away. There are flaws, sure. But I guess I, I either didn't even notice them because I was just so wrapped up in it. Mm. Or in a lot of ways, it is a very tight movie, too. There's no fluff to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And the special effects, which we can get into how amazing those are. And we kind of touched on a lot of that. And that really is yeah. what a lot of people point out. Even now, it's just kind of like that movie's got such like one of some yeah. of the best special effects ever. And that's great. But I also don't feel like the movie leans on those. Mm. You know, like it ratchets up your paranoia intention through something like the blood test, which is hardly any special effects at all. Like it doesn't need them. A lot of your fear is right. from the negative tests. Yeah. And a lot of your fear is also like just when they go to a burnt the the burnt Norwegian mm-hmm. base. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it doesn't always it doesn't always rely on the effects to be the right. only thing that wins you over in this movie. Right. You know. But I, I do want to say you're, you're not alone and kind of just being mediocre on it. Yeah. You know, and we did have Eric who always chimes in on our episodes, which I always actually look forward to seeing what he's going to say. Me too. who should. like <laughs> so who wants to
2: be on one of these I hope days. he keeps it up.
1: Uh-huh. But the most he could say about it was that he liked this movie well enough to finish it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm probably about there. Really? With him.
1: Man, I just, it's hard because you just, I had such a, positive yeah. reaction to it i'm glad even... you
2: did i don't
1: begrudge you that but he did say he can see why it's a cult favorite yes um, he he and in his words it's got that slightly off logic of a horror movie over the top mm-hmm. special gore effects and a cast of fun character actors so it seems like in a way you're you're almost both on the same page where it's like yeah you you understand why people like it right it's just not for just you don't like <laughs> it yeah
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Roger Ebert called it like a geek show. How it's just a movie that people like dare each other to watch.
1: Yeah, and I, I just I, don't I, see that. I don't
2: think so. I, I don't think I wouldn't reduce it that far.
1: It, uh, yeah, I think that's that's dismissing so much of what's actually in the movie mm-hmm. I mean, that isn't that. Yeah, I mean, if that was what the movie was relying on, we'd see a lot more of it. Yeah, you know that the stuff mm-hmm. is actually pretty spaced out when you when you actually look at the movie itself. Yeah, um, I think that when you do see it, it is so. Uh, intense and memorable it's hard not to have those be all you really remember of it right you know um that's true i mean even though we know now that you know what they're doing could easily be done with computer special effects the fact is that we've kind of seen it all and so back then you'd really have to be asking yourself how the heck did they do that mm-hmm. you know i mean some of the stuff was really fun to watch on the special effects they talk about are the special features of the dvd the parts I remember was when they talked about, you know, the defibrillator part where it it takes off his arms. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff is so messed up. It is, but like a lot of that stuff, not only was there so much involved just prep wise, I mean, the way they did that was a double amputee who had gelatin arms put on and um, I forget what they use for bones, but as a double amputee, and then they put an entire face over him to look like the character actor who I'm blanking on at the moment. So it's actually a double, wow. but it's so well done. You cannot tell because they even showed it in like slow motion <laughs> on the special wow. features. And then, you know, the, everything else is the the guy who's laid out on the table. It's his head, but everything else is um, like he's kind of down, like mm-hmm. kind of standing actually. Wow. And everything else is a a reproduction that's completely made out of like rubber. And like even his chest hair and everything is exactly to his chest hair pattern he talked about. And then it's just a hydraulic teeth thing that actually cuts off his arms. And it's got um, the bones had like stuff to spurt out blood. And then it's a double amputee just pulling back and, (laughs) and with the other guy's face on him screaming.
0: Holy cow. And the
1: thing is, that took hours to set up, tons of money and they're about to shoot it and then carpenter said this room's supposed to be on fire because right before that there had been some torching going on so they did that thing you know they got a they got to actually take a line to make a fire it's like it's like a it's like a, le- a line a pipe line. with holes in it, a mm-hmm. gas line and they actually put it in last minute but the guy who did it didn't do it quite right and <laughs> the whole thing went up in flames like on the first take no. and Rob Botton, who did the special effects, was so distraught at seeing this thing go up in flames that he was just paralyzed with like shock. And Carpenter was like, don't just stand there. Put it out, you idiot. (laughs) Like, they put it out. And then they had to kind of rebuild the whole thing. So
2: maybe it was realistic that somebody would just stand there and not do something?
1: Yeah, maybe it is, actually. There Hmm. you go.
2: That's awful.
1: But yeah, then they had to redo the whole thing, and that poor actor who was playing the the guy laid out on the yeah. table had to just stand there for hours and hours again and, and make up to do that, you know. Oh my god! But it's so cool if wow. you're interested in that stuff. The DVD of the release actually does go into how they do pretty much all those effects, but it's the painstaking work of creating like sculptures, really, like these Jeez. rubber gelatin sculptures that actually have to be run by like three or four puppeteers and it's all out of this, you know, Rob Botton's mind. That, and he was like 22. Yeah. And I think he actually had a nervous breakdown afterwards because of his lack of sleep. Like he didn't sleep for days.
2: Well, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure he bit off more than he could chew, but
1: he eventually won an Academy Academy award for some movie. He did total, for recall. The thing? total recall, oh. total but recall, he, but he did not win for Overhoven. oven.
2: Like,
1: yeah. Total recall.
2: Yeah. Wow. I can't believe the thing didn't win.
1: I know. Oh, I don't know what did win. Maybe ET. Oh, uh, probably ET. ET was like the big movie that was actually running at the same time. Yeah, and actually, a lot of people or a lot of critics uh, who are going back and reviewing the thing as a retrospective were saying that that's partly the reason it might have bombed was just mm-hmm. because there was already another alien movie with a totally different feel that people right. were falling for, and the thing was just not. Well, it was. It seemed almost tasteless in comparison. You know. And I
2: also wonder how much people were sort of like, we just saw alien like three years ago. Why do we, why do we need this? Yeah.
1: And the thing that I didn't realize before watching it was that the idea of the thing, Mm -hmm. this, this creature that can, you know, take on different shapes. Right. Um, you know, it was loosely based on a short story from like the thirties. I think that, then was made into a movie that was produced by Howard Hawks. The, yeah, the thing from outer the space. The thing from outer right? space. Um, but what we now understand as the thing, thanks to this John Carpenter movie, was not what was imagined in either of those. Because you know, when when they approached Carpenter with this idea, he was still thinking, "We need to think of what this monster looks like." Huh. And it was actually Botten who said, "Why don't we have it not look like anything? Let's just yeah. have it." always completely take the shape of almost like a combination of yeah, everything. That there's it had no been like
2: before. original form. Right. And so that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool.
1: So you can see actually that concept of having a monster mm-hmm. that doesn't really have any real shape. That's really influential. That's very influential. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, um, stranger things too is coming out on Halloween. Right. And the thing is a huge influence on that movie. Definitely. Yeah. And Especially in this next season, which is gonna focus more on I guess what they're calling the shadow monster. Oh really? Um, yeah, which is, you know, the in, in the, the in the upside, the upside down, down, it's kind of the big thing. And it doesn't really have a for sure shape, or if it does, it's one that like you're only seeing sort of in the clouds and um
2: not the thing with like the it's kind of like, like a spider-looking thing. looks like, yeah.
1: No, that was the Demogorgon.
2: Oh, right, yeah. This,
1: this is called the Shadow Monster. In the trailer, you see it. It's almost like it's in the sky, and it's huge-looking, you know? Uh, there was actually a quote recently I saw from Matt Duffer, one of the Duffer brothers, right. saying that uh, on their Season 2 Shadow Monster, there's an HP Lovecraft sort of approach, this interdimensional being that is sort of beyond human comprehension. We purposely... Don't want to go too much into what it is or what it wants, which mm. I think really is, you know, which a throwback the thing, to the
2: thing for sure. You know? And even when we first see the thing, kind of split open the dog when the dog's face splits, it's like the face of the Demogorgon. It's like that. Mm-hmm. They've, it's yeah, got like that yeah. four parted mouth thing. Right. Um,
1: yeah, it almost so, looks almost like a like it could be a, a flower almost or a plant yeah, something, or something.
2: Yeah, right. But yeah, I think. It's good to note that the movie, its special effects are almost unparalleled, but that's not the only thing about it. And you're right that when I think about the movie, there are definitely images of that that come to mind, but there's also a lot more that I think about. So I think you're right that there is more going on. Um, I think it's just that I'm not necessarily connecting with it, Mm -hmm. which is too bad.
1: Maybe some other time. I don't know. Maybe. Would you give it another chance? Oh yeah, I'd watch it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's um iconic and classic status is well deserved or do you think that it's a little bit of hype and mm. and and bandwagon? Well, we're kind of getting
2: back to that zinger idea. Like if you think a line like that is a zinger then you're definitely just thriving on the movie's reputation. Mm. I think
1: it's weird that they would say that because it's not like it's a movie of one-liners no at all and that's what it felt in fact, like that might be the, just like, that might be the only one-liner in it actually that i can think of
2: yeah it just felt like if this is what the praise of the movie looks like then they're not praising the movie they're praising the phenomenon hmm. and uh again that that probably sounds like i I'm, I'm being like well you don't like it right so i don't like it at all um which isn't true, but I just it made me question what you just asked is the iconic status well deserved? I think the score absolutely the special effects absolutely I think Kurt russell this was a great way to solidify him as a leading mm-hmm.
1: man uh one of the things that I think is hard to not at least notice when you're watching it now um is the fact that it is just all guys right that there are no women in this. I don't know that, I'm, that a big statement needs to be made about that, other than I think it's hard not to notice that when you're watching it. Yeah. And I actually know that that was an intentional choice of Carpenters. Yeah. The way he said why he did it wasn't very explanatory. All he said was he thought it's, it would streamline things. And I kind of get what he means in that as a viewer, you don't there's a lot you don't have to think about by the yeah, fact that it's all men. For sure. We've already talked about how you don't think decisions were made very well. Um, but there are also a lot of other loaded reasons for decisions to be made when there's a gender thing going on as right. well. But I also wonder because so much of whether this movie works or not is how much you can insert yourself into it. Mm. I, I don't have the perspective of a woman, but I could see where it would be kind of hard for any woman to really, this, yeah. this, is this kind of just a dude's movie is kind of what I want to ask.
2: Yeah. Well, I think I I read that even the the crew, there's like no female presence in yeah. this movie. Even in the making of it. Right. Which is weird. Or maybe not. Maybe people who like work in the industry are like, that's pretty normal. (laughs) I don't know that
1: there's a moral judgment to really be made on it. I mean, I guess I'm willing to give Carpenter the benefit of the doubt that it really was a choice made just to keep things tight and to streamline things. Well, I guess to that, I would just, if we have any listeners who are women who really like this movie or don't like it, and if that plays any part of it, I'd be curious to know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Definitely. Well, we're about at the end yeah. of what we can say. You think uh, it's complicated? It might be. We don't disagree. We do, but I don't care. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> is that I'm where we're like, getting in this friendship? Like I'm not
2: like bothered by you liking it. I'm not I'm not questioning your judgment or
1: taste. It might still just be complicated because the reasons you were taken out of it, I'm just not there. It, it, to a certain degree, I'm kind of with you where. I don't know that I care all that much either. I mean, if if you hated this movie, are you still saying that you did like it? Yeah. So I think in that sense, we can have a mutual understanding. Okay. It's not like Wicker Man, where I really love that movie, and you really hated it, and there was no meeting in between. So what would be a five-star horror movie? Like, Can you name more than The Shining? Maybe Psycho?
2: Well, I don't know if The Conjuring would be five stars, but it's definitely one of my favorite horror movies. I don't know if Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie, but it's definitely one of like the movies that scared me the most uh, and I really like.
1: I mean, is it just something where that genre to you is one that you're going to hesitate ever really putting in that same camp as some of your favorite movies?
2: I guess I don't know. Maybe, because maybe I'm not sure how to watch a horror movie,
1: <laughs> you know? It's weird that you brought up so much stuff about why did the characters do that? And it didn't even cross my mind when I watched it. And I like to think that I watch movies with a bit of a critical eye. Like, is it just that when I put on a horror movie, I'm a lot more willing to just go with it? As long as I can sense that there's a bit of that in me that would have possibly acted the same yeah. way.
2: Maybe you know? maybe that's, you're right. All it says is that in a crisis, I would be impeccable. <laughs> I think. I would act impeccably. In the
1: crisis. You're the guy holding the flame me. Clearly, throw. yeah. All right, well, we'll, we'll stick with the... Uh, mutual under, mutual understanding. Sure. I think that's fair enough. Yeah. And um that that just about wraps up our uh fourth annual holiday spooktacular. spook-tacular. I just got the chills there. You did I? Saw that yeah. you shivered. <laughs> <laughs> Still got them. Wow. Still, yeah. yeah. Well, man.
2: <laughs> well, let's uh let's move on easier easier yeah. chills. Um, take a deep breath here and talk about <laughs> what we're gonna, what we're gonna talk about
1: next time. So for our uh, next episode, we're actually gonna do something that we haven't done in a long time and that's do a listener suggestion. yeah podcast. Um, back in August, one of our listeners Rachel uh, had been talking about how uh, you know Harry Potter this year is celebrating 20th anniversary yeah, the books yeah the books yeah it's been like a year-long celebration i feel like might as Um, well be yeah i feel like people are
2: always celebrating harry potter
1: they'll find some reason but right now the reason is 20th anniversary of the harry potter and sorcerer's stone right right
2: well the philosopher's stone in england but yeah right sorcerer's stone
1: this is an american podcast so (laughs) it's sorcerer's stone we may
2: have uk listeners america first
1: and that's yuck. always yuck. going to be the yuck. position of this podcast. yuck <laughs> anyways back to what I was saying uh Rachel was talking about how Harry Potter uh stuff has been all around this year yeah. and she said it might be a good opportunity opportunity to tie back to one of the classic quote wizard films uh Willow mm. just a suggestion keep being awesome is what she said wow to us. so thank you Rachel for that suggestion and we're yeah. gonna do that because actually last we November we will keep being awesome well we we'll, we'll try well, no guarantees make this podcast awesome again huh what oh is that your mega <laughs> yeah thing oh do you say mega i Mag- thought everybody maga? said manga. i only see it on twitter i don't know i've never actually heard someone say it out loud
2: uh i guess i've heard people say maga have you yeah i like mega
1: so um last november also we did harry, harry potter. potter yeah And so it seems right. It seems like this is what we do in November. We do something Harry Potter. Even though this movie does nothing to do with Harry Potter per Per se, it does have to do with fantasy and journeys and the hero's quest. Everything that Harry Potter started. Yes. But Willow is older. It's uh, 1988, directed by Ron Howard.
2: Yeah, who just just got the the reins of the Han Solo movie.
1: So he's coming back to fantasy-ish stuff. Now, you've never seen Willow.
2: No, I don't know. I, like, know nothing about it. Okay,
1: so this will be fun.
2: I think Warwick Davis is in it. Is that right? Uh, Yes, that is right. And I always forget that Ron Howard directed it.
1: Right. I do, too, actually, and I've seen this movie. I watched this movie when I was a kid, liked it, hadn't seen it forever, and then I recently rewatched it not too long ago.
2: George Lucas is credited as a writer on Willow. Yeah, that's true. Sorry, I'm just looking up what Ron Howard has directed. So what I do remember is Rush that racing movie yeah it got good reviews
1: yeah but i never saw it
2: i didn't either before that was the dilemma starring vince vaughn and uh, kevin james okay oh frost nixon was around there he keeps that's a great movie he keeps it is he keeps directing dan brown adaptations that's right after rush he directed made in america the jay-z documentary it's funny. Like you look at the poster and it says made in America. And at the top, it just says Jay-Z Ron Howard. And it's like, (laughs) that's just a very strange duo. You watch Willow.
1: You listen to Jay-Z. I'll squeeze it in, but I'm going to listen to a lot of Jay-Z to figure out if he mentions Ron Howard and possibly Willow. Willow, You you don't know. I
2: bet there's like an Apollo 13 reference someplace.
1: Yeah. If you were going to reference any Ron Howard movie, it probably would be that. Yeah. I don't think it'd be Frost Nixon. Probably not, but I could see Frost could Nixon be. being a cool reference in a, in a rap song.
2: Yeah, a very cool reference
1: <laughs> in my world. <laughs> yeah,
2: you know why I've never gotten into rap? <laughs> they don't reference Frost, Frost Nixon
1: once. I mean, you find me one rap. Frost Nixon. The original pop. rap battle, right there. <laughs> those, the two, those two dynamite. That's true. Personalities trying to get the best of each other. That's what rap battles are. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: <laughs> well. <So.
2: laughs> Back to Willow. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, I have nothing to say about Willow. I don't know anything about it.
1: Well, and here it'll be an interesting conversation. I feel like it's, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like Hook, where if you're a, at a certain age, you've got a lot of love for this movie, but it's not like it's critically acclaimed. I mean, it's got pretty mixed reviews on Metacritic. I think it's standing at like a 45. Good um, gosh. Are you having second thoughts about this now? No,
2: no. It's not... We should do it. I just feel like...
1: It's no Frost Nixon is what I'm <laughs> <you> thinking. <laughs> no Frost Nixon. That's <laughs> what I'm, mo- I'm usually thinking. That, right. Though. The original rap battle. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, there's a lot of you out there that I'm, I'm guessing you're a, lot, a lot of you are in my boat where you've seen this movie, you just don't remember hardly any of it. It's not a movie I don't think that gets revisited a whole lot. Which is weird because it
2: seems like a movie people like, but they don't want to revisit it. Or am I just not hanging around the right people? Well,
1: it's like, when's the last time, other than for this podcast, that you actually revisited Hook? Yesterday. Oh. (laughs) That's about as often as I rewatch Frost Nixon.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I consider Hook squaring off with Peter Pan to be the original rap battle,
1: (laughs) which I believe predates Frost Nixon. Okay, you're right. You're right, Ryan. Yeah, I know. So, uh, anyways, yeah. I, 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 but I hope everyone will rewatch Willow with us mm-hmm. and uh, get back at us about how you feel about it or how yeah. you remember feeling about it. There's a lot of ways you can do that. Facebook right. is one.
2: Twitter's one. At cwsbf is our handle there. Mm-hmm. Uh, email is one. Yep. Feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. You can comment on our website canwestillbefriends.net. You've got our voicemail
1: number eight four seven three zero six nine five three two and you can always comment on
2: old episodes we really enjoy when people are discovering um older episodes and they'll shoot us a voicemail or an email and share their thoughts we always really like hearing about those yeah and
1: uh sometimes we got to kind of try to remember what we said in those episodes but uh Hopefully we still stand by it but uh it's always it is always good to have yeah, you guys go through it. Yeah, we actually had
2: a uh, we had a listener catch a catch a contradiction in my uh Yeah.
1: That was fun. <laughs> I, I tried to explain it. You did and you explained it well. What was it again, though? I don't well, even remember.
2: They, uh, I, I said that I, I didn't think I had ever heard oh, a not the, joke the not that joke. I thought was funny outside yeah. of Wayne's World. And a savvy, detail-oriented listener said, uh-uh-uh, you talked in the Borat episode at length about how funny a not joke was. And I believe I probably even said something along the lines of, I never thought a not joke was funny outside this movie.
1: <laughs> but...
2: As you explained to that that listener, it's in, a deconstruction of a not-joke. Right. The, the fact that he's doing not-jokes so poorly, he's joking about how bad not-jokes are. So you
1: should have qualified in your Wayne's World statement. That I should have qualified in Borat that you weren't finding the not joke funny you were finding the deconstruction of the not joke funny yeah and also in wayne's world you could have qualified it by saying i don't think i've ever heard
2: a a well-executed not
1: joke joke that legitimately made me laugh
2: that was working with the conventions rather than deconstructing the conventions. so
1: just be more careful next time Yeah, I don't understand what the point of this would be if we didn't maintain some level of consistency in our episodes. Right, and if we kept having these issues, Ryan, where you were contradicting yourself, we're just going to have to pull the plug on this. Well,
2: I would step down immediately.
1: Well, and you should. I mean, it's the right thing to do.
2: That being said, I really wouldn't feel the need to step down if consistent inconsistencies were pointed out to me frequently. Are you saying I should have been doing that? No, I'm just saying I wouldn't step down.
1: There's an inconsistency going on here right now. No, I'm
2: sure. I, I don't think that's true because I'm very I take inconsistencies very seriously and I avoid <laughs> them uh, at, as often as I can. And if I were ever to be pointed out that I have several inconsistencies, I would have to step down.
1: And that's never happened.
2: And, and it wouldn't happen because I wouldn't step down. I'm just right. a very consistent person, and it's very important to me that I remain inconsistent. So.
1: And that would never happen. I think it could but it wouldn't it might not but it, it would the point is if there were inconsistencies you would feel like you would have no other choice but to step down but that choice will never present itself because it wouldn't no i'm not saying that at all so you're here you're here for the long haul is what we're saying unless
2: yeah unless at the point where i need to step down right so
1: yeah that makes that makes sense to me. Okay. Th- that you would be in here for the long haul, unless it gets to the point where you need to step down. Right. Completely consistent.
2: Relatively consi-
1: consistent. Consistent within the confines of how I how you it. defined it. Yeah. And I've got a very loose loose definition. Right. But that still maintains all the logic necessary to yeah yeah, yeah. keep it consistent. Mm-hmm. All right. I
2: don't think it could be any more clear.
1: No, it can't. You did a really good job there. Thank you. Thank you for finally clarifying this for me and for our listeners. Yeah. I'm glad we clarified that. And um, I don't. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you made a not joke I actually laughed at. (laughs) Well, I never. You never. You did it. I did it. You did did it. it. Well done. Thank you. Wow. Wayne's World. Ryan on Can We Still Be Friends? Wow. Yep. Thank you. <clears throat> Man, I don't know it took a while to get there, but did I don't we know if it. we get to
2: end on a higher note. <laughs> I don't think we could. So thanks for listening. Keep, keep sharing the
1: podcast, and uh, thanks for listening. Thank you. We'll catch you next time.
0: Hey, this is from Alex, one of your listeners. I just got done listening to your Starship Troopers episode, and look, I'm in my car right now, um, I haven't written any of these things down so I'm just going to go. I think that all of you are right and therefore all of you are wrong. And and this is what I mean by this. I think that Paul Verhoeven is the strangest blockbuster filmmaker ever. I am much more of a Robocop fan than I am Starship Troopers, but I think the same principles still apply. Paul Verhoeven makes satires that are absurd on many levels. So I think that What um, Nate was saying about how he's not sure the orientation of this guy's satire, where he's going with this, is very, very, very true and a key to understanding the kind of satire he makes. So Starship Troopers is both an anti-war satire and a satire of an anti-war satire. I think that the thing that puts people off about Verhoeven movies is that he will never fit the movie he's making into your expectations. and he is always making fun of the kind of movie you want to watch. Um whether it's just a straightforward like war action space adventure movie, he is obviously clowning on you. If it is a like nuanced like sci-fi kind of make really makes you think kind of thing, he is making fun of that kind of movie because it's absurd. It's all absurd. And I don't know exactly what is absurd about this. Is it absurd to him to make a blockbuster with these sorts of themes in it, but he's just doing it because that's his job? Is he ultimately just totally cynical? I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what his orientation is. I just There's something really gleeful about his satire that I just haven't seen in other movies. I don't think there is a clear way to say this is what he thinks is wrong, this is what he thinks is right. So the key to understanding this is the the scenes that you think are giving you some kind of insight into the comment the movie's actually making are absolutely absurd. It's like the Michael Ironside ranting at Rico about how violence solves all the problems. It's the same thing in Robocop with these kinds of obviously villainous, just, you know, crossing at the mouth kind of like CEO all they're talking about his profits and stuff, and profits, and it's like, it's as much a send-up of these kinds of high-minded comments as it is a send-up of straightforward, sort of heroic action movies. It's both. If there's any key, I think, to, to kind of getting a perspective on it, on it all, and I'm not sure there is, I think it has something to do with media. In all of his movies, there's the underlying kind of language of people on both sides of whatever is media. In RoboCop, everyone says that same phrase that's on the television, you know, I'd buy that for a dollar, which is just absurd. It doesn't make any sense, but everyone seems to know what it means, and it's just kind of moronic and idiocracy, and, but but it's just in everyone's head. Same thing in Starship Troopers and the propaganda films. Yeah, I think he might be saying something about the fact that we are looking to television, looking to the screen to get meaning at all and that's absurd um that's my thought you can take it for what you will uh thank you very much love your show bye